For the benefit of guests, my name is Joe Miller. I am the associate pastor of New Hope Community Church, and I'll welcome you here this morning. Um, so we are uh, continuing in our trek through 1 Corinthians, and we are actually in, this is actually our second week in 1 Corinthians 16, which means we'll be in 1 Corinthians 16 for the rest of the summer, so that puts us at like a year and a half in 1 Corinthians. Um, and to be, uh, the weird thing is, this is not the longest series that we've ever done. Um, to uh, give you a little bit of um, uh, uh, insight as to where we're headed from here, um, we will be in First Corinthians 16 for the rest of the summer. We're going to have some great uh, guests who are coming. Um, a couple of them aren't confirmed, so I guess I can't say that. But we are definitely going to have some other guests from among the congregation, and we'll look forward to that. Alan Hastings is going to be here, uh, and Steve Chastain is going to be preaching in a few weeks as well. So we are looking forward to that. And then in the fall... We'll be starting a new series on the life of David uh, that actually I will be uh, doing the vast majority of as Jason uh, continues to uh, go around some other churches in the diocese and try to drum up support for this St. Hilda's congregation that they're trying to get going. Um, so that is where we're going from there. So please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16. And at this time, I'll ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. First Corinthians 16, starting in verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you and even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I, I do not want to see you now, just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Brothers and sisters, all flesh is grass, the beauty of that grass is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this, the word of our God, will endure forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Now, I know what you're thinking. Boy, that text just preaches itself. <laughs> Travel itinerary. Information on where Paul plans to winter. More about the challenges in Ephesus, where that's where Paul's writing the letter. And of course, Macedonia, which Paul makes a special point at mentioning that he intends to go through Macedonia. Don't be fooled. If you thought I wasn't going to Macedonia, you'd be wrong. I'm going to Macedonia. I intend to go through Macedonia. Macedonia was the home of Paul's less problematic churches, the Thessalonians and the Philippians. It it may seem peculiar that we spend an entire sermon discussing the implications of Paul's travel itinerary. But before we consider the deeper implications of what might be present in Paul's words, I think that it is also important for us to see that these words are a reminder that the letter of the the first letter the Paul first letter of Paul to the Corinthians was a letter. 
We view the Bible as the Word of God, the God-breathed, inspired words that, that while they come from the pen and the mind and the heart of individuals such as Paul, they're also given to us by uh, the divine for our edification. And one of the most fascinating things about the Bible for me is that it's not just like a list of rules and regulations. It's not just a teaching on how to live your life. Despite what others would say, it is not the handbook for living. At least it's not written that way. It's not just a teaching on how to live your life as a member of God's family. Maybe for you, you might have liked a clearer and more comprehensive divine revelation. One that perhaps updated was updated every ten years or so uh, to ensure the, the proper cultural dynamics were reflected in the text. As you know, that's, that's not what we're given. We're given a library. We're given a library of historical narrative, of poetry, of prophecy, of philosophy. And even when rules and regulations and teachings are given, they are presented in such a way that they fit within this grand narrative framework of creation to new creation. Bible stories are more than just stories. And in regards to the Pauline corpus, Paul's letters, we are given letters. These are actually letters. And we would expect things like travel itinerary or the kind of the nuts and bolts of, of living in the ancient world to be present. The thing is, for us to understand them, as God has given them to us, we must see them as actual letters. And with a need to discuss dry items even such as travel plans. So a passage like this helps us to see that the Bible is something to be lived out. Christians believe that there is a deep wisdom within the Bible, within that book, one that transcends generations. And the fact that Paul includes a travel itinerary at the end of this theological heavyweight of a letter shows us that the gospel calls us to make the best plans we can as we look to live that out. Another thing is that this travel agenda shows us that the gospel is work and that failure, or at least difficulty, is quite possible. It is with careful deliberation that Paul plans his move here. In the ancient world, it would have been dangerously chilly to travel during the winter months, especially if any like sea voyage would have been attempted. Um, next month, Mary and Alicia Poling, they're going to Rome. And, and, and you can imagine, like, I've never been overseas, but I would imagine there is a boatload of stuff that goes into traveling to a place like Rome, at least overseas. I mean, not to mention there's, like, legal stuff like passports and, and all that, but there's also uh, packing the appropriate things but not packing too much. And there's all these things that they're going to have to think through in order to get from Baltimore to Rome and back. And that's with 21st century technology on their hands. 21st century technology on their side. Uh, In Paul's world, in the ancient world, it would have been wise to take the advice of Bilbo Baggins. He said, "It's it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. See, Just getting through the day in the ancient world meant troubles that we can hardly imagine. And to travel from Ephesus to Corinth meant either crossing the Aegean Sea, 
Google Maps, actually. I, I looked this up to go from Ephesus to Corinth on Google Maps. And it says you can walk there in two days, assuming that you can hop the right little boats through the Aegean Sea. Or you had to go up and around through Macedonia. So the church in Corinth was in bad shape. And Paul wanted to make sure that he spent quality time with them. See, Paul has serious concerns over the condition of the Corinthian church. Um, the letter, as we've seen it these past year and a half, um, the la- over the last year and a half, has shown us that factions have risen up among the people. Poor moral choices have corrupted the fabric of the community. And perhaps worst of all, it appears that there are some in their community who are even denying the resurrection. The spiritual health of this Corinthian community is troubled. And Paul just doesn't want to see them in passing. He wants to drop anchor with them. He wants to work with them. He wants to guide them. He wants to undo the damage, even if it takes all winter. So Paul wants to make the trip to Corinth. But he has some other things to figure into the equation. See, if he went north, it would take him first through Thessaloniki and then to Philippi, both of which had churches for whom he felt warm affections, but, but it was more than that. See, he could count on them for support. In addition to all this, Paul doesn't want to neglect the work that's going on in the place where he's at, namely Ephesus. He, he says that a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And what's interesting there is that he follows that up by saying, and there are many adversaries. So, a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. The implication there is that um, the place of greatest risk may also be the place of greatest opportunity for proclaiming the gospel. See, Paul is weighing his choices carefully. He, He says that he intends to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, which would have been 50 days after the Passover which meant that he'd leave in like early summer. And then he'd travel north and then west through Macedonia and then arrive in Corinth at a time early enough that he can decide whether or not to winter with them. And then there's this last piece of logistical uh, uh, information that, that may be helpful to us in that we really have no way of knowing whether this plan was actually carried out. There is a section in Acts that that might seem to back it up, but a lot of commentators are saying, no, that's actually not the place where he did that. In truth, the fact that 2 Corinthians exists at all actually kind of tells us that Paul's plan, the things that he was thinking through at this moment, didn't really work out the way that he was hoping they would. And this is okay, of course. Why? Because Paul knows that all plans are ultimately subject to Christ when he says, if the Lord permits. So today, right now, I'm, I'm attending a worship service where, where I've, I'm giving a sermon that I prepared. And, and later on, if, if the Lord permits, I, I may have lunch with Jason, I think, and then I have plans um, to attend a funeral. I had um, just a heartbreaking experience this week uh, with sitting with a, pre- uh, a family who uh, just lost um, a, a premature baby. Uh, and actually, I'm, I have the opportunity to do the uh, funeral tomorrow. Um, 
and the funeral for a child. It's, it's been a heartbreaking thing, but that's on my plan for today and tomorrow. And after that, I have some work to do to prepare for Monday, and then I have an elders meeting at 8, and it's a busy day, but all of it is held subject to God, who will be sovereign over my steps. The day very well may turn out the way that I have it planned, but then again, all things are subject to Christ. And I'll have to respond to the needs of the day. Uh, It's been a very busy week, and on Thursday, I came into work, and I had like a list of things that I wanted to get done, things I wanted to get accomplished, and then I started to get a little bit hungry, and I'm trying to eat better, so I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go down to Giant, and I'm going to get a little salad, and that's great, and I get in the truck, and my truck is completely dead, you know, and so the day ended up turning into a tow truck, and having to go down to an uh, auto, uh, a, new, a, new, a new mechanic that I hadn't met down here in Catonsville, and that ended up being great. But then uh, Jason was kind enough to invite me. Uh, to, to, I needed to go to school, so he, in, he offered to drive me to school. But that meant I needed to be a part of his agenda all day, which included a three-hour social media seminar, which I wasn't anticipating. You know how those can come at you. You know, hey, watch out. how we respond to the day sometimes of the unexpected it may seem like a silly thing to press on but i think this is what jesus was was getting at when he said don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring worries of its own today's trouble is enough for today when jesus says don't worry about tomorrow he wasn't declaring that um, he wasn't advocating for us to drop our responsibilities and stop making plans. He was declaring the finality of God's sovereignty over our lives. You know, should we make plans? Sure. Will some of them fail? Count on it. Will God be merciful? Always. Andy Stanley would tell us this is not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. See, since deciding to serve as your pastor full-time i've discovered that there is an invaluable tool to the job of ministry uh, is the calendar i have been awestruck at the power of the calendar Uh, when i worked at my last job I, i didn't really need a calendar my boss told me what i was doing every day and tomorrow very rarely factored into the job of today um ministry has been a completely different animal If I don't live by my calendar, I will lose my mind. I'm planning things out days, weeks, months, even years ahead of time as I think through where I'm going to be in a given time. Even though that I know that the calendar might be completely changed when I turn my ignition and the truck doesn't work, um, even though I'm going to be challenged by the day's reality, I still look at the calendar as a tool, not an idol, a tool, that although I hold it loosely, is actually quite powerful. And I wonder, I wonder if we're using our calendars in the most efficient way in regards to our spiritual life. I've noticed something about calendars, that the things that aren't on my calendar, I I tend not to do. But if I take the time to put it there, I stand a greater chance of making time for it. So, private Bible study, prayer, one-on-one discipleship, mentoring, small group house church, house church time, um, service to the community, weekly worship that begins at 10 a.m. Putting things like that in my calendar helps to show me 
the value that I place on that particular spiritual discipline. See, let's say you have house church on a Wednesday night. And then a friend from work asks to have dinner with you on a Wednesday night. And months earlier, you had made this commitment. You had made a commitment that house church is going to take priority on that night. And to remind you that it had value, you chose to put it in your digital calendar. So then when your buddy asks you to hang out after work, you see that a decision must be made. Now, I can only speak for me, but I would argue that if house church wasn't on my calendar, I would have a much easier time blowing it off. Or, on the other hand, if a decision was made to go out um, with the friend because, you know, you honestly felt like meeting with the friend was more important than house church on that particular day, it may very well be, maybe the guy's going through something, then seeing house church on your calendar might remind you that the thing that you're doing instead of it, you're doing for an intentional purpose. Having dinner with this fellow is important enough to miss house church, and I'm going to treat it like that. And the truth is that there are other reasons that I blow off house church then aren't nearly as good as that scrupulous reason. Because even though I hear my bed calling my name, I made a promise. I made a promise to myself and to my family to prioritize house church on Wednesday night. And for those with ears to hear, I digress. Because prioritizing is exactly what Paul is doing here in today's passage. See, first, I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because an important piece of effective work needs to be done to spread the gospel. Sure, there's adversaries. Sure, it's not going to be easy. And sure, there's people that want to see me fail, but I'm, not, but I'm going to stay here until summer breaks, and then I'm going to make my way to Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. I need to be refueled by going through Macedonia. See, things have been planted there that I need to check up on, and regardless of how much garbage the Corinthian church is going through, it would be a mistake to neglect Macedonia for the sake of Corinth. I'm reading into the text here, but, but maybe Paul felt the draw away from Macedonia because maybe he figured that there aren't as many fires to put out up there. I wonder, Maced- what, I wonder what Macedonia's uh, we are neglecting for the sake of Corinth's. Corinth is important. My job is important after all. See, I'm trying to sew up this second master's degree. But have I missed too many of James's baseball games? Were those games in my calendar? And I decided, that's not important. I, I can miss that. There's not a fire there. I can miss that. Have I missed two date nights in a row? Well, I missed them. You know, my wife's great. She's, she'll be fine. You know, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. And then before I know it, I look back at that calendar and I see all these really important things that I, that I did. And I realize, no, I, I missed like four or five games this week, this month. And I have not been very attentive to my wife this month. Because of all these things, all these fires that I said I needed to put out. See, when I neglect important things for the sake of the urgent, I get myself in trouble. 
It's not that Corinth isn't important, and in, in fact, it's just the opposite. But Paul wants to make sure that he's prioritizing other things and taking care of his responsibilities first so that he can spend time in Corinth and give the problem there the time that it deserves. See, he doesn't want to just see them just in passing. He wants to dive in. It's going to take corrective counseling. It's going to, be, it's going to take teaching that's going to be necessary. There's a matter there of such importance that he's going to make sure that the other ducks are in a row so that he can turn his attention to the, to the church in Corinth with proper clarity and proper resources. But for Paul, remember, for Paul, friendship was always a two-way street. See, there's a falsehood that exists that assumes that the church is a place where people come and receive like spiritual goods and services from an organization. It's like a religion store mentality. See, this wasn't the transaction where Paul brought the goods and people brought the needs. Remember Paul's letters, he was writing letters. Letters were letters. He desired a relationship with people. He expected to receive as much as he gave. And if you read letters like Philippians, you can see that oftentimes he felt like he was receiving more than he gave. We're not called to be ministers to others. We are called to ministry among others. It's never going to flow only in one direction. Paul's words here, they remind us that this depth is not simply localized in, in our corner of the kingdom. What happened in Corinth mattered in Ephesus. What happens in India matters to the church in America. Um, I was reading this book this week by a guy named Jossie Chaco who wrote a book called Madness. It's fantastic. He tells the story of a pastor in northern India who is in his 50s. This man has a burden to preach about Jesus, and his motivation was Matthew twenty four fourteen. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Chaco says he took this as a personal job description. His family, this pastor in northern India, his family ate only one meal a day in order that he could save enough money, as much money as possible, to buy gospel tracts, to, to buy resources for ministry. He even earned extra money by visiting a hospital every month just so that he could sell bottles of his own blood. Chaco says, when a poor man is prepared to sell his own blood for what God has called him to do, what am I prepared to do for my convictions? See, from his experience, he realized that North India needed a dynamic, effective movement focused on planting churches. He saw Christians doing excellent work in, in social development and in relief aid, and he saw passionate evangelists doing the work of gospel proclamation, but what he didn't see was a movement dedicated to establishing strong, vibrant churches that could nurture new believers. He says, I saw that someone needed to give 
moral, spiritual, strategic, emotional, and financial support to the national workers already doing the work of evangelism. See, they had unmatched vision, dedication, and passion. They were doing their best and more, but often they didn't seem to have the resources or the know-how. They were also lonely, and there was no one to put an arm around them and to pray for them. There's no one there to say, you're doing great. We're with you. And he said, I wanted to be that person. New Hope is blessed to support an organization called Kingdom Reign, an organization that trains Christian leaders in areas of the world that are most hostile, hostile to the gospel. Um, in fact, uh, we don't actually list them on our website um, because the organization needs to make sure that they are as unsearchable as possible. They take these long trips and they stay with leaders for as long as they can because um, they don't want to see them just in passing. They develop relationships with church leaders in India and also Central Asia. And, and because they know that, that in an area of such adversity, an area where um, there is such challenges, there is also so much opportunity. Evidently, they've figured out that the place of greatest risk may also be the place of greatest opportunity for proclaiming the gospel. So two points in closing. We're going to take communion in a few minutes. And I want us to think through, before we take communion, two things. First point breaks up into three. Number one, what's your Ephesus? What needs to be taken care of today? What needs to be taken care of here and now before you can move on to anything else? Before you can move on to the things that God has called you to do? Is that thing dangerous? Is it risky? Have you been hesitant? Because it's full of adversaries, but is it abundantly filled with opportunity? Second, um, what's your Macedonia? What is that important thing that will remain a priority regardless of the other things or regardless of the other immediate fires that need to be put out? Your family, your spouse, your kids, your job, the constant things that will be a part of your life regardless of what else you're doing. Are you paying that, uh, the attention to that that it deserves? And then finally, what is your Corinth? What is that thing over there? What's that thing over there that needs your attention? You've been hesitant to go, but it gives you holy discontent. There's something about it that you say, God's calling me to that. Or maybe God's already called you to that and he's asking you to invest more in it, to invest more of your time, your talent, your treasure, the things about that that he wants you to be involved there. But also... What choices are you making to ensure that you're prioritizing the proper things in your life? If Ephesus, Macedonia, and Corinth are truly important, what practical steps have you taken to make sure that they've been given the weight that they deserve? These are things that we pray about. These are things that we can bring to the foot of the cross and we contemplate on as we come to the Lord's table. 
Our communion table at New Hope is an open table uh, that we invite all those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to come forward. If you do not worship Jesus as King, you shouldn't feel obligated to participate. The bread is unleavened, the red is wine, and the white is grape juice. And first, though, please stand and join as churches throughout the centuries have done in the reading of the Nicene Creed. And then please come forward afterwards and we'll take uh, the elements back to your seats where we'll partake together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.